When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we have got the man that WWE voted the biggest superstar in ECW history. He held the ECW title 700 days, only giving it up due to injury. He's the one of only two superstars to hold the WWE, ECW, and TNA title. Six-time Intercontinental Champion, Mr. Monday Night, unless he's wrestling on Friday night, and then he's Mr. Friday Night. He is Mr. Rob Van Dam, who changed the business. Rob, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Uh, yeah, quite an intro there. I thought uh, I was expecting uh, Shane Douglas to run off until you mentioned that 700-day run. <laughs> <laughs> hey Rob, it's a pleasure having you on on our little show here, man. I, I, you know, I we talked a little bit uh, before we come on the air about yeah. Uh, I, I, I watched some of your your interviews, and I, I see that cabinet back there. That's the most fascinating thing. I, it's like a damn uh, uh, a music light back there with the colors <laughs> coming off. Tell us a little bit about where where you're at, and where you live, and what's going on in your life. Okay, well, uh, I've been living in Las Vegas for the last three years. Uh, Katie Forbes and I got married in uh, November. Some people don't know that. Uh, but we called it, you know, I called her my wife for a long time anyway. So um, it was it was probably uh, confusing. Uh, everything is so awesome. I'm a lot busier wrestling this year than I thought that I would be. Like last year, I wrestled like twice. This year, it's like maybe... Uh, 12 times I'm thinking I'm like halfway uh, halfway through and I still got uh, five or six matches uh, to go one is this weekend at the Mall of America in Minneapolis um, and uh, I've been going to Japan for Noah great great talent over there I was watching uh, Mudo is retiring he's got five matches left he makes this big announcement one of those matches was when I was over there uh, just July twenty, July sixteenth, and uh, so man, you get one. You get one of Muda's retirement matches. You know, I wish I wish I did. You know, but honestly, I was so humbled watching their match because I went out there, and, and one of the guys I was working, Masawa. He's uh, Nasawa. I'm sorry with an N. He uh, he's one of the bookers. You know, so hey, you know what he wants, fine. You know, yeah. he's a little nervous because he's such an ECW fan, and. Uh, and he wanted to, it was me, myself and uh, uh, Tanaka against uh, Super Crazy and uh, and Nasawa. So it was just an ECW match. And man, I, I felt like the crowd was over appreciative, as was the company, for what we did. And then uh, uh, Muda went out there with, uh, I think the kid's name is Kojo. I'm not sure, but he went out there and to have one of these matches. And oh my God, I was like, so impressed like it was humbling just to, to watch like the great the story that they told 
and uh, and how and and how much they drew all of us into it in a way that was so increasingly compelling. And you know, by him, by Mudo, he kept going for that for that for that finish that uh, leg sweep is. And every time he'd go to do it, it'd be a counter, and you kept thinking, this time he's got it. Boom, and it was just so good. Wow. It was so good. I was, you know, I was thinking, man, uh, that would be a, an incredibly uh, different match to have than than what they brought me over for last time. But, but I think they expected a lot less than they got out of me too. Uh, I went in June, I went in June yeah. six man tag match, and you know they kind of had it set up uh, so I could be uh, take it easy or whatever. And I was like, no, man, I'm gonna start this match, you know, with the young boys, bring them out. I, I just been feeling good. Been feeling a lot better this year than I have like in the last ten years. So from what from what you described Ramuda's match, sounds like he's still really that old school uh, talent in there that likes to tell long stories and 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 mix it mix everything in that gets the people up. Now, has the Japanese crowd and Japanese style because it's been years and years since I, I've been competing over in Japan. Has it changed uh, uh, recently? So check this out. Uh, because of COVID, they're not allowed to to be loud in public. <laughs> they never were. That, <laughs> Unless they had a job. <laughs> that, you know, I mean, during COVID, I mean, I wrestled in some uh, completely empty studios, wow. like for, for Impact, you know, and I thought that sucked, but it was kind of easy, you know, also depending on how you looked at it. Uh, but having a crowd out there and going to them and going like, oh, and it's like a mellow, you know, like I can only hear them like saying it, man, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me. You know, I, I count on that connection. As soon as I got off the uh, airplane, the, uh, they, they started filming me, you know, uh, they wanted to get me at the airport arriving. So I just started saying, RVD's back and took the, oh, and they took the camera down, they're like, you know, when they're. And I was like, what? And they were there saying, uh, because of uh, spray, you know, maybe. Uh, and so the crowd, when you know, for their reaction, they, you know, they can they can clap or clap with their feet, but then their vocal expression has to be toned way down. And what's funny is that I don't think Americans would adhere to those instructions. You know, <laughs> no, they no. don't. I know. I think it'd be too tough for them. I, you know, yeah. That's something that's so tough at a sporting event. Somebody you really love or a team you really love to not do much. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, you know, they've always been uh, ahead of us with organization and uh, stuff like that. <clears throat> you yeah, know, I used yeah. To think, yeah. I used to think they, their conformity, that's a good way to put it. You know, like I was, even when I was just uh, 22, my first time going over to Japan, I noticed how at the intersections, when the, the, the walking light would change and say walk, everybody goes over together in a group and all the men were dressed the same, all the women dressed the same. And that would happen at the red light too. Even if we were like six, seven cars back, we could go when it turns green because we're all moving like a train. Whereas here, one car goes and then the next car waits until they're so many yards away. They slowly take their foot off the brake and they're just more productive and progressive in, the, in that manner. Always have been. How's the business in Japan right now? Wrestling business? Uh, it's good as far as I can tell. You know, I mean, uh, in my understanding of it, that it's uh, uh, 
uh, I, you know, I kind of forgot about it for a while, you know, but I didn't even realize it existed. But uh, uh, I guess I don't really know overall. You know, I'm told that New Japan is probably uh, is still the number one uh, group. And um, man, they had some, uh, the first show in June that I was on with Noah, they had a couple other companies on there too. And one of them, it's called DDT. Oh my God, I was, I was embarrassed watching the matches not 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 my kind of style at all it was so gross it was about a dude and, and a tea back like taking that off and sitting on the other guy's face and oh dude, uh, the whole match though the whole match it wasn't like one spot it was just the whole thing was him smothering the guy's face with his butthole and i was just like <laughs> i was watching I was watching the monitor before we went up, and everyone in the dressing room was laughing at my reaction. And don't worry, that's not our company. I'm like, oh, well, thank God, but this is our show. <laughs> well, from there, Rob, from from a guy trying to uh, in a teabag trying to trying to moon somebody's face in in the ring there, that's quite a ways from Battle Creek, Michigan, where you first grew up. And is that Battle Creek? Is that was was Sheik the guy that you guys watched? Did you go down the catalog center watch Georgia Championship Wrestling coming in town about that? Or what 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 inspired the RVD to become RVD, Mister Friday Night, Thursday Night, Tuesday Night, whatever night we want? <laughs> well, that's it's a pretty broad. Uh, uh, several questions there, but you know, I only got WWF when I was growing up. I didn't know there was any other wrestling until I already had it in my mind that I wanted to be a wrestler, which happened uh, at my first live show. I went to the Kellogg Center, watched uh, a show, WWF show, and uh, somebody on the inside, looking back, possibly a, a groupie, but she told me she was a manager and she was like a friend through our parents. So I met her there and she put it in my head that she could get me into the business since I loved it so much. I was such a big fan. And then I, and then I never thought of anything else. I was like focused on that. Um, I went, I took my very first uh, trip by myself, like when I was in, in high school uh, or that year anyway. And I went and, and visited Killer Kowalski school um, in, wow. in Boston. Because there was an ad in a magazine, a wrestling magazine, that said um, for $5, they would send you a list of all the wrestling schools in the country or in the world or whatever. And, you know, that's, I did that. And I got this list. Some of them were addresses, some were phone numbers. So I was writing some people. I still remember, you know, talking to someone, Larry Sharp. Um, I was talking to him. I was hearing body slams in the background. So I was like really excited, you know, because I'm, 18 years old and um, uh, Johnny Hunter in North Carolina, I talked to him on the phone. He said, are you married? I said, no, I'm still in high school. Huh. And he said, good, stay that way. Uh, wrestling and marriages don't work. You'll have other women on the road and she'll have other men in your house while you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always remember that. But uh, whatever it was, Kowalski school was the one that I thought I could get the most for my money. And I and I, I went and visited the school, and Kowalski uh, was super cool. Picked me up from the airport and uh, drove me around. Everything. I was saving money, bagging groceries. You know, doing odd jobs uh, for, for wrestling school. And this really big powerlifter dude came through, 
and we struck, struck up a conversation and, and then he said he was training uh, with the Sheik and uh, I didn't even at the time know know who the Sheik was, you know, like uh, I'd heard of him, but I hadn't been exposed to uh, any other company, you know, except for WWF at that time. But he ended up bringing me there. And of course, back then, it wasn't, it wasn't just like, uh, hey, do you got enough money? Come on in. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I had to, you know, get in the ring. I had to show everything that I did. All my tail. I had to show him everything that I claimed I could do because I said oh, I'm a kickboxer and I do all these spin kicks and splits. I'm acrobatic. I could do flips. Now, not to cut you off there, but I'm going to. Uh, how much martial arts training did you have when you got hooked, hooked up with Sheik? So, um, so I had probably at that time maybe like four or five arts but like i never was with one long enough to go through like all the belts and stuff there was a, uh there was a so actually there was a, a a ring there was a ring in town and we went to in some guy's backyard and when we went to talk to the guy about getting in the ring to wrestle we as me and my friends you know uh he made us go through his kickboxing stuff first because he was a kickboxer so he would make us go through his uh training and stretching his classes and then the wrestlers could have the ring so i got into that i was knocking everybody out and found out i could also take a good punch you know and i was like i was the best out of my friends by far and i was hanging with his guys that were bragging uh about you know their experiences so i got into that and then i went to the local uh dojos in battle creek uh one was the battle creek budokan it taught kendo Aikido and and karate and first I went there on a one of those coupon books I have like two free weeks or something and and then I'd get over with the trainers and they'd invite me back and uh, that's what happened like uh, everywhere there was uh, um, uh, at the Kellogg uh, Community College there was someone that taught Tung Sudo and uh, didn't go there very much but I had a friend that did a lot and I went a couple times with him and he would show me Thai uh, Tatami's Taekwondo same thing um and and i would go uh but i but i really enjoyed like the sparring of it because some of these kids that were bragging that they were brown belts or whatever i was like dude i'm knocking this dude out and he's saying <laughs> so uh so i really liked the competing of it so i would we would do kickboxing shows with that guy that owned the ring his name was kit likens now with what i know he was a lot like a wrestling promoter you know, it, 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 but at the time, he wasn't as respected by the, the rest of the martial arts community that I met because they would say things that, that like he advertises people that aren't going to be on his posters. He made his own championship belt, this and that, you know, he smokes weed. That was one of the <laughs> things. <laughs> so at the time, it was like I was doing both sides of the fences, but learning what I could. And uh um, so I was competing with, um, uh, with kids shows, which most of them were at bars and, uh, outdoor parties. Um, and so there could be a couple of fights because someone in the crowd drinking would always want to get in the ring and I was just hungry to learn, you know, and we had these 16 ounce gloves on. So it wasn't like anybody was going to get real hurt. You know, I'd be like, yeah, let me have them. And, and, and Kit Likens had two losses. One of them was Terry Gay. That's probably where I learned the most. I went to Terry Gay's school then, ran into him in a mall and read his jacket, said Super T's karate. And uh, 
and then me and my uh, my other my best friend that did everything with me, everything Dango. Um, we trained under him, and his his guys were were tough, and we would just spar, and it'd be like ninety percent sparring. Like we'd really be going at it, but if you really connected and hit someone that knows, you might pause and go, oh, "Are you all right?" Just for a second, go, "Yeah," and keep going. Like it was it was really rough every time. Came out with bloody lips, bloody nose, and and those guys were experienced, and just that I could hang a little, with, you know, with them. Um, allowed me to, to to learn a lot from them and then i did a couple of tough man contests one no i think i did one tough man contest before i met the sheik but i remember after i started schooling with the sheik i wanted to do another tough man and i was afraid he'd get pissed if he found out i did it because his contract was so onerous you know like that's how they used to be they used to give a shit if you were you know uh, uh working under their reputation and so I signed a contract, any book in within a couple of years to go through him and this and that. Um, but then later in life, I took um, Kaju Kenbo and that was probably my favorite art. And that was probably, I was probably 26, 27, living in Savannah, Georgia then. And uh, same kind of thing. I got over with the instructor, Seafood Doug Katani. So he would let me in the class and, uh, and I would spar with him and stuff. And um that was at the Gold's Gym in, in Savannah. And Kaju Kenbo has a combination of five different arts. Uh, Kaju Kenbo stands for karate, kenpo, judo, boxing, Kaju Ken, Kaju Kenbo. There's one other one in there, there's only four syllables. <laughs> um, karate, kenpo, judo, boxing, um, jujitsu. And uh, anyway, that was what I had the most fun with. And it's like realistic you know, punching people in the temple or putting your fingers in their eyes, not not friendly competition like boxing with 16 ounce gloves and foot pads, but, um, but that's kind of the extent of, uh, uh, of what I did. And so Sheik was like, well, show me, show me these kicks, you know, show me these flips. So I had to do all of that by myself in the ring and exhaust myself. Like, what else? What else? What else? Um, I can do this, you know, and and then, then eventually he put Sabu in the ring with me. And Sabu grabbed me and he's pushing me and pulling me and jerking me around the ring. And I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. I guess he's testing my coordination and balance and, and whatever. And I, I didn't really know. Like, I didn't know, you know, a little bit of stretching me. I mean, as far as like Sabu, like testing me a little bit. And at the end of the day, I didn't know how I did until Sheik said, come back next week and bring me some money. <laughs> <laughs> The, where, where did you uh, first pick, figure out how to do the splits? Was this something that you were just very flexible or was this something that was a learned uh, trait? I, uh, I had to learn how to do it. And um, I really liked the stretching part of gym class, calisthenics. Like, I don't know, I started really enjoying the benefits of that little 10 minute warm up that Mr. Larson would make us do before whatever sport we were playing. And, um, and so I started, and then with martial arts, you know, I really was interested in being able to kick higher and use less energy to even kick the same amount of high, you know, uh, have that be less of a range of my motion because that would just make sense. It would be easier to do that even if you're only kicking knee high. So um, I taught myself, and then uh, the first time I saw somebody actually um, doing the elevated split was Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bloodsport and then I was like man I want to 
I want to learn how to do that. And I, and I was kind of close, but seeing that gave me the idea to use my mom's kitchen chairs and, and actually hold on to a broomstick and actually try that a few times. And at first I could only do it for a few seconds, but um, I just kept working on it until um, I could at the gym, I would line up two benches and I would jump up and I would just land in a split like boom. And then, yeah. And, and then one guy that was more of a veteran said, why? I mean, I don't understand if there's a purpose, but you're going to blow your knees out. That's stupid. <laughs> so I quit doing it that way and came up with lifting the weight. <laughs> and you now are the world record holder in the lift that is now certified lift, right? Well, so I got certified by this company called um, All Around Weightlifters Association. They do odd lifts, one arm bench press, things like that. And uh, they came to a, uh, this, it was a live event. You know, they officiated it. I, did, I never knew of anybody coming after it, um, but some, but recently I've seen pictures and stuff of uh, other people either either trying. I haven't seen somebody do what I did with more weight, although I wouldn't be surprised if, if somebody could, but I've seen them do uh, put their own spins on it um, and, and lift with different different things, whether it's holding a barbell overhead or, or holding two dumbbells or whatever. I've, so, so I, we originated it, call it the Van Dam lift, did it on ECW television against the officials. And, um, and, and I really don't know if it, if I should look into it. I don't know if that like is something that, 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 that still stands or if it has to be renewed every so long or if it will lose its uh, validation. Uh, but what I do know is um, it was a national lift. Um, unlike the unlike the, the legend and i would have had to go to like czechoslovakia or something some big event if i wanted to establish as a worldwide lift but the the rumor you know was uh <laughs> was bigger than the actual event so we'll go with that one <laughs> they usually are <laughs> yeah people think okay. I'm in, people think i'm in guinness book of world records you know there, there's some freaks in there i'd have to be holding up a semi-truck or something <laughs> Well, one of the th many things that I, I, I really respect about your, your long career was you, you, you did a lot of things and you were injury free during a, a good portion of your career and always, always uh, gave it to your, your ability to stretch all your stretching and warming up. And I used to tell everyone, how's RVD do all that? I said, backstage, he's back there 45 minutes to an hour stretching his body out. And I really still think that's the key to guys staying injury free. Is stretching their the body out, but you you had that a long time ago. Where where did that come in your mind? Well, um, it was something that I developed over the years. You know, um, I still might add like one or two positions over a year, and it's something from exploring my body. You know what I mean? I might be on my stomach, uh, pushing pushing up, um, pushing my hips into the ground, and I might realize. Hey, if I twist my shoulders clockwise, you know, it, 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 you know, like 40, I don't know, whatever degrees, you know, then I actually feel it more down here. And just from doing that, I, I find stuff that I learned to add, you know, from going inside my body and exploring that way. So I, I think you're right. What else could it be? You know, the, the, the injury um, statistics, I mean, except genetics, what else can, can, can you really put it on? And I always found it strange that nobody else, nobody with no exception that I know of, took the time to stretch like I did. Devon had a stretch routine, and so did CM Punk. 
and neither one of their routines was as long or as extensive as mine. But besides those two, most guys just kind of shrug their shoulders and go out there, right? right. Yeah. You, you did stu- you did stuff that ninety five percent of us not only didn't do but couldn't do. Couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you feel now? Because you, I mean, you did some crazy, crazy stuff. How's your body feel now? I feel good. I feel good. Yeah, I had uh, I got something like around. 2010 ish, um, 2010, 2011, where I had a uh, a herniated disc where like my where my low rib connects to it, and and that when that thing would lock up, um, the, you know, I, before my match I could barely even like uh, reach my boots, and I'm like, man, how am I going to get out? Do wow, what am I? And by the time it comes time for bell time, I'd always be warmed up and up in a state of mind to be able to go out there and do the job, but for sure it hindered my performance. And, and man, that back pain would come on and it would last uh, for like six months and then, and then boom, it'd go away. And like for years it would do that. When it would come on, I'd be like, oh great. I feel the back pain coming on like progressively over days. It would last for months. Uh, not, but from like 2010 till like this year, this year um, my back feels good. And if I have a bad back day, it's nowhere near as bad. And it lasts like one day. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's like, it's such a big difference. It's given me like a, uh, like a rejuvenation. Um, and, and besides that, you know, um, every, everything else is, uh, is good. Um, my shoulder and in my wrist keep me from being able to lift really heavy. Cause I, I used to always lift like real heavy and, and, uh, and, and now I don't. But, you know, that's been since 93. So I did my whole career like that with, <laughs> right. uh, with broken wrists that happened in all Japan with a, a massive Dory Funk. And um, it's bothered me since. So nothing new. Was your first matches that you did, was it there for the Sheik in uh, Michigan? Or did you go down to Florida first? Well, um, it was the Sheik show. The very first one was in Columbus, Ohio. And it's funny because uh, I, I met a fan somewhere recently uh, I think it was at Bobby Fulton's show in Ohio at that um, Chillicothe, and the guy was at the show at my very first show, which would have been in uh, 1990. Um, Columbus, is it Columbus? I'm sorry, Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. It was supposed to be outside at the Speedway racetrack, but it rained, so it got moved inside. Abdullah Butcher was on the show. Capitera was on the show. So I was excited, you know, as a wrestling Yeah, fan. of course. Yeah. Uh, um, there was a, a Ninja Midget Turtles in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. And, and, and I was protected uh, from, from you know, looking too green by having a uh, kickboxing match. Me and my buddy Dango, who, as I said, did we did everything together. We would go out there. Uh, with gloves, uh, smaller gloves than we would actually fight with. But um, we would go out there and uh, fight. Maybe we'd have a couple rounds. Things would get ugly. The gloves come off. We start rolling around on the ground, big pull apart. And and that's how uh, the first two or three matches were until we got more comfortable uh, and more ready to wrestle. Well, Rob, you're, I mean, I, I've, I've known Sheik, the original Sheik, for a long, long time. I know, I know his style. Certainly your style is not that Michigan style where, you know, the, the big guys are out there just beating the holy crap out of each other. Like, you know, you had Bobo Brazil, you had Crusher and, uh, and Bruiser, you had, uh, uh, 
you know, all of, all those big, huge guys there. And there wasn't a lot of flyers there. When did you kind of start developing the Rob, the, the RVD style of your work? You had, uh, who'd you have? You have Ethan Larry Shane, Flying Fred Curry. The Currys, yeah, Fred Curry and Bill Curry. Yeah. Um, well, that was what drew me in as a fan was the flying. You know, like uh, I liked Leaping Lanny Poffo. Uh-huh. Uh, he was my first favorite wrestler I can remember, even though I was the only one. And he would, you know. Yeah, well, Lanny was good, though, man. He really was. <laughs> and, and for me, I was he would do flying head scissors, a monkey flip, you know. He did a, a moonsault, even though we didn't know what it was called, off the second rope. I'd never seen anything like that. So his thinking outside of the box is what drew me in and made me um, inspired. Same thing with Brady Boone. Right. Uh, when he had the mask on, was Battle Cat or Battle Cat? Cat? Battle Cat, yeah. Yeah, and then later, Owen, when Owen uh, was the Blue Blazer, you know, um, which by that time I was already, I think, in the business. But, um, you know, I, I'd never seen anybody drop down to their legs on the rope and do a flip from there. I don't think I was in the business. I remember doing that on my fourth match with uh, Sabu in Vermont. So I don't know. It was around that time, though. And so, like, I, I guess that was always my thing. But we weren't allowed to do it in front of the Sheik. The Sheik just wanted us <laughs> locked up, you know, headlock, go behind, you know, take him down, try and pin him, try and pin him. If the guy was on the on his back on the mat and I was doing if, – if I even thought about doing that, I would have gotten beat up, you know. <laughs> um he was saying that uh, only the champion should be able to flex his muscles uh, and that, you know, any other time, man, you're trying to win, you're trying to win. His shoulders are on the mat. Pin him. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you leaving him? He's behind you. He's, you know, pin him. And uh, it was all about that. So looking back, something that I notice is missing in a lot of the wrestlers is their commitment to the moment. And that's what Sheik gave me. Like, he really made us believe what we were doing the whole time you know there was no there was no waiting for the next move you know what i mean like i don't if i get thrown into the corner i'm not one of those guys i'm not just going to stand there and look across the ring and be waiting um you know bam i'm going to be hitting my back or whatever if anything the guy working with me wonders if i'm going to be there for him but that's because i'm working the whole time you know someone's choking me i'm trying to get their hands off me that was that was my my training and that's what i see missing a lot is like everyone's just kind of waiting for the next move um and you know that that, that kills it we wouldn't have been allowed to do that Sheik made it real he never once right. smartened us up he never said here's how you take care of somebody in any way here's how you slam somebody without hurting them here's how you fall without getting hurt none of that ever ever there was never here's how you you know punch somebody and, and not break their face. It, it was all about, get them. What are you hurting them? What are you, are you, are you hurt? You know, get out of the ring if you're fucking hurt. You know, it was, it was all like that. I was in Europe. I think when, when uh, flash funk, uh, too cold and Chris Benoit had that match at WCW where people just, people couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, it was, where were you when you saw this and you were doing the same stuff. I mean, you three guys really changed the business did you feel like, like to Jerry's point, you know, because the business before that was just kind of the big guys beating each other up. Did you feel like there was a place for that progression to come and that it was, was going to come so big because you became one of the biggest stars in the 90s? You know, Scorpio lit the world on fire. And then Benoit, of course, became a world champion as well. 
You know what's funny is that I, I literally thought that uh, people at Scorpio stole my moves when I first saw him uh, <laughs> on TV. Because I'd never seen some of those moves done before. And I had sent a tape to WCW before I saw Scorpio. And then he's doing the flip and a half, you know, which I've always missed. Because I never knew that I wouldn't kill the guy. Um, <laughs> but I, I really thought that, that, they, that they showed him the tape or whatever. But um, I was always trying to invent new moves. That's what I enjoyed uh, way before I got into the business. For me, it was always, and Dango. We were always trying to come up with our own stuff for whatever reason, you know, and I was, it was before I had my first match when I was in the ring training, when I was like, I wonder if I can jump up into a split and land in, on the top rope in the corner and actually have enough momentum to not get stuck, but bounce, you know, back and do you know, like a, I didn't know what a moonsault was then, but you know, a flip back uh, uh, onto my stomach. And, and I was always trying to do moves that I had, and I still see moves now that are done that people that understand the same uh, desires that I had, and they come up with cool moves, and I'm like, man, I wish I would have come up with that first. That's cool. Awesome. That 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 still happens. But I mean, I had some pushback for sure. You know, um, one of them that comes to mind is Stan Hansen, because I started wrestling in, in all Japan. <laughs> started wrestling in all Japan in '93 when I was 22, just turned 22. And um, Stan liked me, you know, uh, but at the same time, he thought that my stuff didn't have anywhere in the business. I was the only one, you know, trying to do a backflip off the guardrail, and he didn't really see that fitting into, into, into the match. And so, like, beforehand, when we'd be in the dressing room, you know, he'd be like, uh, we'd be talking about stuff, and they'd and someone would say, should we, you know, should we get, uh, get you know, Rob in there? And he'd be like, Oh, geez. Yeah. Tag Claude in there. He, he always called me Claude. He said, yeah, tag Claude in there and let him do all his, uh, all his crazy shit. And somebody get me back in right away so I can try and make, get everyone to believe it again. And he was, he was, <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. It was like that. I had to earn his, I had to earn his respect from actually being in the ring with him. And then he actually, uh, gave me the props and said, I, I, I'd never seen it from that angle before. Like you were, you were, cause I gave him a couple of shoulders in the corner, did a, did a backflip and ran at him and kicked him or something. And you know, he's blind. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I, you were right, you were right there. And then boom, you just, you disappeared. I didn't know where you went. <laughs> I, I gotta say, you know, and I was like, Stan, are you saying that I actually have a place in this business? And he's like, well, yeah, you do. Yeah. And I said, but, you used to tell me my shit didn't have any, any room in the business. He goes, well, you didn't back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. The old grumpy guys were the best. Murdoch Mar used to tell Ricky Robertson, go in there and do all your fake shit. When he gets done, I'll tell yeah. him he looks real. I'll show him it's real. Exactly. Those were, I, I'm sure Stan, Stan said the exact same shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I get it now because of me criticizing what I watch on TV now. And I'm like, oh, my God, a lot of these guys watched me or some of my peers were inspired by it, but they didn't have that old school training to put that mentality in them so there's there's a big gap missing and so when i'm watching it i can't watch for two or three minutes without starting to complain a little bit you know what i mean <laughs> right and, and i'll do it i'll do it with katie to help her learn you know because she wrestles and she's been in it much much less than 
and I'll point things out, you know, and I'll say, Oh, you see that? See what they did right there? You know, and I'll point that out, but, but, but it, it takes, it takes away from my enjoyment a little bit where I get irritated because I'm like, this is where this is becoming acceptable for the business. Then I'm like, am I Stan Hansen? <laughs> <laughs> we That's all right. go through that. We all go through that, Rob. <laughs> oh, so Rob, you're, you're, you're working for, for the Sheik there. How long was you with the Sheik before you made your move? I believe it was down to Florida, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. Um, I didn't really consider moving away from him, but it was like, so I started training with the Sheik in December of 89. And then um, I went down to Florida in 91. Uh, and so two years, I guess, later, it was like December, it was November of 91. How did uh, that connection come about? So I was in USWA in uh, 1990 in the summer. And uh, uh, me and Dango, Sabu, Judge Dredd, um, doing the 700 mile loop, you know. Um, and um, Tex Slasinger was there, right? Yeah, Tex Slasinger's stepdad was Ron Slinker. Right. And so Ron Slinker's there at the show, and Ron Slinker took a liking to me. He's the first guy. To well, Ron aside. had that same similar background as you did. Too. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he handed me late. Well, I guess I'll get to that. Um, he took a liking to me, and uh, he's the first person to pull me aside and say, kid, I think you're going to be a world champion someday. You know, this is my first year. You know, he said, uh, I, I might be wrong. I wasn't wrong about Rick Steamboat. I wasn't wrong about Rick Rude, whoever he mentioned, like two or three people. I don't know. Um, and so he told me he's opening up a territory in, in, in Tampa, going to open up the Sportatorium. He'd love to have me come down there, give me his number and stuff. So after I was finished at uh, USWA, I just kept in constant contact with him. He wasn't ready. He gave me Manny Fernandez's info. I went to Charlotte and wrestled for South Atlantic for a little bit. Uh, eventually, I was like, dude, what's the hold up, man? I got to, you know, boom, I'm ready to go. I was just excited, excited. I, I drove down there and I helped him open up the sportatorium. I helped paint the bleachers, helped hang the sign from the roof, everything. I wanted to go. And uh, he's the one that gave me the name uh, Rob Von Dom. And um, he, he uh, yeah, he was into Yoshikai. He liked my martial arts and said, uh, um, he gave me a black belt to wear and said, if anyone asks you, tell them, you know, that you earned that through me, which, you know, he taught me one or two Yoshikai moves. <laughs> but really, that made me a prima donna walking around, you know, having a, being a young kid, walking around with a black belt. And I was staying with the promoter, sleeping on his floor. <laughs> I instantly had some heat with uh, some of the boys there. No. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Got to experience some of that side. <laughs> uh, that's how that happened, though. And then and then Slinker, you know, when uh, I wrestled there once a week on Thursdays at the Sportatorium for $35. And yeah. started wrestling at Universal Studios for Eddie Mansfield. And there was another guy that had a coin. He was a coin collector that ran shows once a month in Florida and then just networking, you know? And then you got to end up with uh, Bill Watson, WCW, right? Yes. Slanker right? was, was behind that as well. He had gotten Tex Slasinger in there. So uh, Dennis was already there. 
Um, and I had already moved to Georgia at that, at that point. By the way, when I was in, in Tampa, when people want to talk about paying dues, I'm sleeping on the floor of this apartment. There's a uh, Ron who's 200 and I don't know, 65 pounds, you know, big Marine with that bellowing loud, deep voice yelling at these little Shih Tzus all day Rah! and uh, fighting with his wife who was Dennis's. Oh, Dennis yeah. lived there. The wife lived there. Ron's son lived there. There was so much. Oh my God. There was so much. So it much was bad on. enough you had to live with Dennis. <laughs> I got a drunk doll from Dennis the other day. He, he told me he loved being hung up. That I hadn't, I hadn't heard from him in three months. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, he's the best. I, I love Tex. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had to put up with me. Looking back, I was such a kid. You know what I mean? Like, Looking back at it, I didn't know the right thing to do, whatever. I actually ended up uh, moving from that place in with this girl because that's when you're at that age, that's what you try and do find a sugar mama. Try, you know what I mean? Is, you know, basically looking back, it's a horrible, it's a horrible, uh, horrible values to have at the time, you know, to use people like that. But, uh, anyways, but this girl I ended up moving in with her. And uh, she was someone that Dennis had dated. I didn't even think twice about it at the time, you know, looking back at it, like uh, he was kind of upset and I didn't even understand why. I'm like, you didn't, you didn't care about her, did you? And he was like, <laughs> he goes, I, ne I, don't, I never thought about it. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> That's great. I, I don't even know if I said thank you, you know, when Loma would make us food. I mean, just looking back, but that, that's the problem with growing and improving is you always look back on a lesser you. And, uh, and that's something I always have a hard time forgiving myself or anything stupid that flashbacks in my head of anything, saying the wrong thing, making the wrong decision. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's normal for people, but I guess it is probably. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's all part of life. So yeah. during that time they had, you know, that was right before the start of uh, the Monday night wars and ratings exploding everywhere. Why, why did you choose ECW over, say, WCW or, or WWE at the time? Because obviously you're a, you were a hot commodity. You probably you could have gone anywhere you wanted. I loved the ECW style. I mean, that was just uh, well. First off, Sabu and I were already doing that style. Like we were already diving to the floor. He was putting people through tables. That was his gimmick. Um, we would fight in the crowd. The first time I wrestled Sabu, well, first off. <laughs> Sabu was in ECW he was my mentor right and so at that time this is 96 at that time of my career anything that he said was good enough for me you know if he would have said uh hey uh come with me we're gonna go kick those two guys asses let's go I would have followed him because that that was my position I felt like I was his soldier right, right. and so like when I first got into the dressing room he's like those guys think they're good but they're the shits uh, they think they're good. They're the Fuck those guys. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. And, and so I just hung by Sabu. So that was my mentality uh, when I um, when I was at that at that age. Same with Sheik. Anything Sheik said, I, I would do. Um, and Sabu because he was an extension of the Sheik. Um, Sabu was already there. I didn't know, but he had been telling Paul to call me and to bring me in. I didn't know. Paul called one time, wanted me to go up and. Uh, um, do a job for uh, Mikey Whiprack. I was like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, yeah. dude. I was wrestling for All Japan, um, and uh, Paul's offered me a couple hundred dollars. And I mean, at a zero on that, 
that's what I'm making in, in all Japan. It's a time per week. So there's an easy decision, you know, like, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, I got to make two K weeks, probably more at that time. I started a two K a week with all Japan. So by 96, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, you know, even much better than that, but it was so financially, I, I was like, why would I, I, I liked my schedule with all Japan. I could name my tours. Um, Baba was great. Uh, and then he, and then, and then Sabu was like, did Paul call you? Yeah. He's, and I told him how it went. He's like, what? He told you what that mother and he, he got mad. Let me call him. And, and he was like really aggressive about it. Sabu. He kept, did Paul call you? No. What? All right. Bam. And I didn't really <laughs> care, but eventually it worked out. Paul brought me up. It was intimidating at first because I was in Georgia, you know, where to get over as a baby face, you know, you're like, come on, everybody. USA, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's now it's all adults wearing dark, like rock and roll shirts. They're waiting for you to slip up. So they can say, you fucked up, you fucked up. You know, and it was just, so it was, there was a lot of pressure. Um, but I had my first match with Sabu and afterwards when we came through the dressing room, all the other boys were standing up and clapping. And I remember like, I, I, I didn't understand it. I'd never seen that before. I really didn't know. I walked through everybody and I was confused. I didn't know. I didn't know. It was a sarcasm. I, I really didn't know. Did I do that for everybody? Is that part of the tradition? And I waited till Sabu got with me and I told him what, you know, when I came back, everyone was clapping. Uh, what was that? And he said, oh, it, and I go, did they, was that like sincere? I mean, I don't know. He goes, no, that's because they liked the match. He said that. Sabu said, no, he goes, uh, they never seen anything like me and you. So for them, that was like, for me and you, that was a regular match. But uh, for them, that was like uh, outstanding. So they were clapping because uh, we put on a classic for him. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Did you, a movie. Ever have, you ever have an audience? Uh, I, we, you know, we were on the road all the time. So we, we never got to see really WCW or ECW, you know, that, that much. But looking back at the tapes, the passion of the crowd, and being in front of them later, you know, when ECW was kind of on its way out, but that was the most passionate crowd I'd ever been in front of. Have you ever experienced anything like that other than ECW? How would you compare it, I guess is a better question, to say WWE or the different places you've worked? Yeah, you know, I've been, uh, I found little pockets all around the world where the the crowd tries to emulate them, you know, by having their own, chants and stuff one of them was in england it was like half it seemed like half wrestling half soccer crowd because they would do the you know wherever you know but but it was uh i could but they were man they i went i swear i went 15 minutes before locking up every time they would end one chant they'd go into another chant and then the guy i was wrestling had so many things and he had something where he was playing the turnbuckles like the bongos in rhythm to what the crowd was doing and I was like, okay, they got their own thing here. I get it. And the crowd was entertaining themselves. That's kind of how ECW crowd was. They were definitely part of the show. We counted on that and they entertained themselves. Um, the only thing I can even come close to, really there wasn't anything like that, but those fans are everywhere though. You find fans everywhere that would have come out to the ECW show if ECW had been in their town. Uh, or maybe they did even. So it wasn't, you know, just that Philly crowd. But those were the OGs, Philly and New York. I did see John Cena get booed a couple times. The first time was in Wales, I believe, Cardiff, Wales. Um, and every, and I, I, everybody was booing him like he was a heel. And I hadn't seen that before. 
And uh, Cena was such a professional. He got on the microphone and he was like, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, go ahead and boo me, you know. And, and then he talked to them for a minute about how he's glad that they're reacting, that they're not just sitting there bored out of their mind. As long as they're screaming, that tells them they're having a good time. And boom, boom, boom. And then pretty soon he just turned them around. They were cheering for him. <laughs> Yeah, I saw him do that time after time, especially when I re retired. I was just doing commentary, so I got a first, you know, front row seat for it. And he'd come out there when they'd be half booing, let's go, Cena, Cena sucks. And he was so good on the microphone. He'd end up changing them all around and getting them all on his side. And he did it every single week. It was just, it was amazing to watch. He's the champ. <laughs> you know, yep. it's, Tommy Dreamer always talks about ECW. It's amazing that, you know, I don't know how, how far the run was of ECW, you know, the, the real high high times of ECW, maybe five years. To, I don't know what it was. The, the big Is that time. a pun? Is that a pun? The, the, for people to still chant ECW 20-something years later, it tells you how strong that brand was. Yeah. Yeah, we really impacted their, their lives, much like uh, anything. You know, like we all remember lines from movies that we saw when we were a kid just because it impacted us so much, you know, that it's integrated in our, in our whole life. And ECW was like that. I, I really learned to love it. I, cause, cause before I went up there, I'm, I'm already booked. I know like I'm going up to Philly in a couple of weeks. So I, I, I'm trying to watch it on, on the sunshine network and just seeing uh, Sabu jump from the, the chairs in the middle of the ring. He runs and jumps from the chair in the middle of the ring all the way to the top rope in the middle, bounces out to the crowd, and the crowd just erupts, you know, like a bomb. And then the next thing it shows, uh, everyone's throwing their chair into the ring and they're burying the ring with the chairs. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a fireball go out into the crowd. It had that car crash appeal where even if you weren't a wrestling fan, if you're flipping through the channels, there's a good chance that you're gonna stop and be like, holy crap, what is this? And and that's what I really liked about it. I thought that it made wrestling cool when uh, wrestling wasn't necessarily cool, you know, for, for everybody. It was, uh, I didn't even um, really, and still don't really connect with the, with the musical aspect, but that was a big part of it. Um, I'm not a very musical person, you know, I, I, I heard my song walk on the radio and it was perfect for what I was doing with Sabu. We were having this matter of respect angle. So I heard respect and I, and I felt the energy and I was like, whoa. And I asked Paul, can I, can I use this as my song instead of this Joe Satriani Lords of Karma song that I was using since IWF in uh, Orlando and, and everyone, you know, thinks that I'm a great uh, rock aficionado, you know, and, 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 I, you know, I really don't know much about it, but I know that that's the same uh, culture that those fans love it. And, and so they would, man, they were, they were rocking. Everyone had such a good time. It's uh, seeing, seeing uh, Bam Bam Bigelow throw Spike Dudley out to the crowd <laughs> and they catch him and, and he's body surfing and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really thought Oswin, if we got out of a, a worldwide stage where everyone would get a chance to see us while they're flipping through the channel, yeah, I, I always thought we would get enough people that would be drawn to it uh, for the company to grow uh, enough to where we wouldn't have to go anywhere else. And that was my favorite style artistically to express myself and to be showcased in. Um, and so, you know, for all those reasons, I, 
really wanted it to go and so did everybody else that was there that's why we stuck stuck with it for so long but obviously looking back at it now you can't you can't light fans on fire <laughs> <laughs> and it's tommy dreamer told us, and it's tommy dreamer told us he was on the show with us and tommy goes and the music we never cleared it with anybody we just played it <laughs> <laughs> There, there were a few yeah. things, yeah, <laughs> which, which added to the cult following. I mean, you know, which yeah. made people feel like they were part of something. You know, I always thought the the start of NXT. I don't know about now, but like the start of NXT when it became kind of this groundswell. Uh, you know, before uh, you had AEW and all, and the other some of the other group, was kind of like ECWPG was something. You know, because you had these crowd felt like they were part of the show, but. It, and it was their show, kind of in a way. Do you, do you see a similarity there? At least how the way NXT when it started, not not necessarily now, but when it started. I see, I see some similarities. Uh, for me, um, I didn't feel it with the crowd as much, but I I, I probably didn't watch it as much as you. But um, I had a couple of matches there, and I didn't. I don't remember feeling it from the crowd, but just the fact that it was like like uh, somebody coming up as an outsider, as the uh, non traditional um uh ulterior you know product and, and and that that whole rebellious um nature and with them trying to be different i i thought for those reasons i thought that um that it could be compared you know i could i could see that for sure but i don't really remember the crowd's reaction and it may just be that the crowd wanted something so bad like ecw they latched on to the, the thing that they identified with most All right that's true that helped us out a lot was that people felt uh, personally offended um, by some of the some of the stuff that was being forced down their throat, so to say. So that 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 definitely helped uh, turn a lot of fans our way. Rob, yeah. Rob, one one one. Sorry, one one of your one of your 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 feuds that kind of really set you apart and kind of defined your uh, career was a guy you mentioned a while ago, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, I guess that was for the, the world team or the. ECW TV championship and you guys made that belt as prestigious as your as your world title belt through that feud there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I loved uh working with Bam Bam. He was somebody that I respected a lot. You know, I saw him, I think I saw him on TV before it was before I went to one of the Kellogg Center shows. He was at the Monster Factory and they were doing some uh some special on wrestling because wrestling was in town. So the local news was airing this piece. And that's the first place I saw uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. I don't know if that was my first wrestling show or 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 one, you know, towards the beginning, but um, I always liked him. And uh, working with him was an honor because, you know, he was a big star. I mean, any for, for ECW, anytime somebody really big would come in, it would just, you know, really help us get a rub, you know, anybody, Rick Rude, um, I loved it when he was there, and Sid Vicious, and, uh, you know, um, a lot of people stopped through there, it always helped us, and Bam Bam uh, really worked his ass off for us, um, and he was someone that was already, like, so well established, you know, that just, just having a win on him would be a great victory for my career. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about wrestling with him um, was the fact that he was a receipt giver. And <laughs> I, I just loved it. I just loved that old school um, kind of thinking. And sometimes, you know, I, I would, I remember like I had a chair and, uh, and I went to like throw it at his head 
And um, I, I don't know what happened. If I threw it extra hard or if he turned, turned, whatever happened, bam, I remember when it hit him, I remember going, oop, a receipt's coming for sure. <laughs> and he just grabs the tape, he grabs the whole table and picks it up, throws the whole table at me, wham, and gets, of course, it gets a huge pop. But then there's no personal feelings after that one moment. It's over, you know. And then it's just back to business. And I always enjoyed that. I always thought when you when you when you're a tater guy, you pick him up and you go, "Are you okay?" Your question is not, "Are you okay?" Your question is, "How mad are you?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know you're going to get it back. Where's it coming? <laughs> you're, just you're just wondering how hard it's going. You just open yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. True. And the worst, and the worst is when they wait a while. You know when you yeah. go, okay, go ahead and give it to me. They don't give it to you right away. Go, oh no, it's going to be always coming. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about Bob Holly, are we? Oh, <laughs> oh, his whole batch is paid back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was his deal gets talked about a lot because it was a receipt for the the non wrestling event that he brought to the ring. You know that might be waiting a little too long. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, right. Yeah, I was first match with Bob for. Oh my God! About nine months. Uh, I yeah. enjoyed it. You know, back then you just went out there and didn't get out of the ring, didn't do nothing, had a normal finish. I had, a, I, had a, I enjoyed working with Bob. I went through different cycles of motivation when I was with WWE because, like at first, I thought they might change my name, erase my past. I really didn't know that we were bringing ECW back, and I was representing. So that really excited me. I was like, "Sweet, I get to be." myself and, and and all my efforts to this point are acknowledged and and it, that was great uh during the alliance um and then something probably happened some promises in my head being filled up with stuff that doesn't happen or whatever but you know there was there was definitely room for for uh downward and then and then i got the hardcore title and now it's like sweet every match is like an ecw match for me you know and i i really enjoyed that and then you know, whatever for a while. And then we brought ECW back and I was like, so excited again. I was like, man, I, I just, this just added 10 years out of my career. Now my dream has come true. We're doing ECW style on the WWE's stage in front of the whole world. And, and I was so happy at first and it was cool at first. I'm, I'm sure I'm probably, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead on. No, uh, no, that's fine. I, Cause I was going to ask you how you felt the, the, yeah, I was going to, I was going to say when I, when, when I knew I was going to, when Paul suggested working Bob Holly, I got so excited because I knew he was so snug, shall we say, <laughs> snug. and, uh, and he really liked to bring it to people. And I knew, um, that that was going to bring it right back out of me. And, uh, and that I was fighting with the passion, the renewed fire, you know, of, trying to help ECW grow and look good. And so, so I was really looking forward to that. And, and I really enjoyed the matches I had with him. You know, you know that's something, you know, uh, I think all three of us can, can agree to this thing. You really like a snug worker. You really like somebody that's uh, Tony, you know, where they're at. And, and you know, always, it always fired up my adrenaline. It always, always gave me goosebumps. Oh, like a guy like Blackjack Mulligan, uh, that guy going to beat the crap out of me. So I got to fight my ass back. He, it just brings out that that competitiveness in you. That, that you're a very competitive guy. So a guy in there like you, Bam Bam, or you're hardcore man. That had to bring that out of you. It had to bring some excitement to you. Where I, I'm going to get to really, really do something tonight. Yeah, definitely. And and we didn't, you know, uh, we never had people back then in ECW ask us if we ever really hit each other because they knew we were. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
especially or that blood people, real they knew it was real <laughs> yeah and we would use the chairs that they were sitting on grab them right from the fans and like wrap them around our heads um so most people knew but you know some some uh and the tables you know um that's that's something Sabu said that he he was disappointed to see the art be compromised in that way he said you know things that it would already be there, like a t ringside table is already there. You incorporate that in the match. Uh, but then it went from gimmicking the tables, you know, and, and bringing rubber turkeys and, and stuff that would never be near, <laughs> near, you know, for, for the match, you know, and the King, Singapore King, whatever it was. But uh, New Jack would come out with shopping carts full of stuff that the fans would bring. So that at least he had a reason, but but Sabu made it actually organic when he started like. Oh, so so uh, New Jack, he, he, all that stuff he had in his grocery cart that was brought. Him the fans would bring it. Wow, that was the fans <laughs> would bring it. Yeah, we were always we were always uh, looking forward to seeing uh, the funniest items that the fans would bring for him to use. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it became, it became a high spot. You talk about the Sabu's point. It became a high spot where you'd flip up the apron and people would pop because they have no idea what's under there. You know, Hornswoggle lived I under there. Tables were under there. Chairs were under there. I do it every match now. Yeah, here's the kitchen sink. You know, here's a couple logs for some reason. Uh, somebody somebody in a match that I had recently asked, um, um, how, how many doors do I need? Doors? <laughs> what do you mean doors? Yeah, like like instead of tables, you know, we, we can go through doors. I'm like, I'm good, bro. <laughs> yeah, they were looking for an APA door is what they were looking for. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. I, yeah. I'm always trying to tell everybody, like, it doesn't mean anything if you go, you know, if you make it mean nothing. But, you know, that's a whole, everyone here knows that in this, in this trio. <laughs> Right. Big boss man got the hardcore title, and after two matches, he gave it to Vince. He goes, "You can have this back." <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Ray hated that title. <laughs> well, Jerry, you were in the office. Maybe you got some insight to this, but I felt like you know, before I had it, it was a joke. And Matt, you're going to get a plunger on your face or fight in the ball pit, you know. But I uh, added, just like with the TV title in ECW, I feel like I added prestige and respect by having uh, really good matches with the hardcore title. I started main eventing uh, live events hardcore, yeah. with the hardcore title, and then they got rid of it. So I, I've, I've always had this theory that I made it mean more than anybody ever wanted it to, so they got rid of it. You're, you're right. I mean, it was, it, it was a fun title where, you know, <laughs> Especially that 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 battle roll, hardcore battle roll we had at WrestleMania out in LA, where like fifteen champions in twenty minutes or something like that. It just it kind of destroyed that hardcore concept. I think at that point there is when it kind of started going a little comedic, and then then when you and, and hardcore started running through it, there was nothing comedic about it. <laughs> it was brutality going on it. You guys are the ones that elevated that title. I had some good matches with him, Sabu, of course, right. um, Big Show, and uh, Test. You know, when uh, when ECW first came out, and JR would say, ECW means anything goes. Um, it was a really hopeful time for us, you know. And then, uh, then somebody screwed it up and dropped the title over cannabis. And uh, <laughs> but I mean that was. 
besides that, though, just the fact that it was changing. Well, you know, I mean, this is, well, I don't know. I'm bringing this, but ECW was cool for a while anyway, you know, and then it became much like the other companies and the fact that I felt like the talent pool was watered down because now you got SmackDown guys and Raw guys competing on ECW, which is confusing because I don't even know who's in ECW and who's not. And then also, um, you know, once you said there was one extreme rules per per night, you know, that was right. like, okay, you're definitely getting rid of it then because, you know, one one extreme rules match per night is all it's going to have. And Vince said, Rob, uh, I, need, I need my refs to have credibility. So I'm like, well, I guess it's on its way out. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of those guys that went to ECW weren't really ECW type guys that would have gone there. You know, right. the guys they they maybe they couldn't find something for that had a lot of talent, and they thought, well, yep. put them in ECW and see how they develop. Well, that's not what ECW was. ECW right. was a distinct style, and and those guys, a lot of some of those guys that come up through, you know, maybe the power plant, they go on WCW. They, they never knew that style. They never grew up in a in a territory that had anything hardcore like that. So it was too big of a jump for those guys to jump into ECW and hope to bring that brand as as big as it was it was just not going to work i think and, you're right on that i think as as the office as, as we we're thinking i think we 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 didn't really look at that as as a viable part of wwf as it was built at that time there but as as rob and and and, and bob and some of these hard, really hardcore guys started developing it i think vince actually started seeing that this this could have a spot uh on our roster here so hmm. Yeah. So you're saying they didn't bring it back just to uh, bury it? The theory. What? So you're saying they didn't bring it back just to bury it? Uh, no, theory? I don't. I don't think they did. I don't think. It, I don't think it was ever meant to bury it. I just think they, Vince, didn't bring it back because they just didn't have a way to, a, a, a place to go with it in their minds. You know. I mean, if maybe if we'd had somebody that had the ECW experience like Paul or you or somebody else and Tommy or some of those guys helping out at that time. I, I think we could have continued that thing. We because were there. You guys, you guys were making it legit. I mean, yeah, we were there to help though, you know, but, but to that, to that point though, like I said before, you can't, you can't be lighting fans on fire. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I right. think the liability of it too kind of scares yeah. me at the times, you know. Yeah, and, and I always thought at the time, Jerry, that it was that the guys that were in charge of it didn't understand ECW completely, you know, because understand, I mean, during the time of ECW, we were in this war with WCW, so those guys weren't watching it, you know, they were, they were busy trying to stay alive and keep the company afloat, and then yeah. all of a sudden they, they're in charge of ECW, I just thought they never understood it, was, was my opinion. I'm sure that's part of it, and my opinion on that is that they thought uh, hardcore met rent the same shitty buildings that ECW used to rent and uh, used the same $500 advertising budget and uh, <laughs> see, see who shows up. That's what it, that's what it felt like. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm like, oh my God, we're back. I've been in WWE for, uh, I don't know, five, six years, and now I'm back at the Ross Raver Ice Rink. <laughs> what the hell why and uh, I, I will tell you this rob i mean you know I, you know all of us we've been to every major arena in the world but when we got to go and do the pay-per-view in the hammer sign theater 
you know, you go to certain certain venues, you just you just get flashbacks and you get kind of goosebumps. When I went to the Hammerstein, I'd never been there before, but I had heard all the history that ECW. Walking in that building and, and, and that morning, getting up and preparing to go there, I, I got really excited because this was something new that I was experiencing, and I was hoping some of those ghosts would just jump out and come alive during that event. There were they did we had, we had that was to me that was one of the better ecw shows when it was the first hammerstein show that we went to there but well, it, yeah. it, it was a thrill to, to work in a building like that for us you know that's that was our pontiac silverdome you know what i mean like the, the live events some of them were some pretty crappy uh little you know armories or schools or whatever uh, although i saw a lot of growth when i was there you know from when i started and crowds were always getting bigger but yeah that was always like uh one of our very best uh buildings was the hammerstein ballroom and then the live events when, when, when it came to um the live events with wwe i'd find that we were in uh these crappy small buildings again and that promoting them was you know was done by probably by Bubba visiting the strip club, just like uh, it used to, you know, so there'd be a few hundred people there and, uh, you know, that affected the paycheck, you know, so it was like, wow, now I'm wrestling ECW style on WWE center stage, but I'm getting paid uh, indie wages that I made, you know, probably when I started out with ECW, yeah. so you know that that couldn't that wasn't cool. <laughs> um, and, and and Jr. said, "Hey, no, you, th- there's no crowds there because as it is, I got to pull from the SmackDown pool to take care of you ECW guys." And I always felt no one knows we're there because no one's promoting the the shows. Because um, and, and but also I thought, well, how's that fair to the SmackDown guys? <laughs> I mean, isn't there kind of some formula that? supposed to be uh we're supposed to be using but um you know uh that that was something that uh, i that was disappointed in you know like i would have been we were doing the the tvs we would split with the smackdown crew as i remember it so you know the crowd would be there for smackdown that stayed for ecw something like that uh but then yeah once we started doing our own ecw shows it wasn't real exciting wrestling in front of real small crowds again <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like uh, WCW. You know, when they tried to revive WCW as well, it wasn't really the WCW product. You know, you guys didn't have your yeah. full roster. You didn't guys didn't have an ECW crew. You know, like with the right. WCW, you know, you had Booker and DDP, but you didn't have NWO. You didn't have Bischoff there. You know, they came later, but it, but it just wasn't. It didn't work because it wasn't the same. It's what that wasn't what people like watching at six oh five every Saturday <laughs> Saturday afternoon uh-huh. to watch. It wasn't ECW that people like to watch on TV and be so passionate about. Right. True. A lot of people would just protest just on the idea of that alone. You know, just that it's not the real ECW. I'm not. I'm not going to waste my time. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, Rob. When when you when ECW ends up finally going away, you 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 during this time, hold it during this time, you end up being the the run as the world champion and, and all that. How was it different? You had a the longest run, I guess, seven hundred days ECW. How was it different that championship run and the championship in WWE? <laughs> well, let's compare it by uh, comparing that seven hundred days to like four days. 
That's uh, <laughs> maybe more than four. I mean, I, I think someone said, thank you, Jerry. I'm, I'm holding, holding for a laughter from John. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was like, oh my God, was it four days? I'm going to go ahead and move forward. Um, no, I, but I, someone I heard, some fan recently said it was only a couple of weeks, which I didn't realize, but um, either way, you know, it was, um, it was, let's see. Uh, that's a really good question because I'm trying to, like when I had the TV title, I was obviously very proud of it. Um, I felt like I made, like I added value to that championship. And I mean, you know, if I could step outside in, of, of my shell, it's not just ego. I mean, the fans, uh, they would sometimes chant whole effing show from before the ECW show started sometimes even through some of the matches, which was rude, um, all the way up until I would come out at the main event. Sometimes that would happen, you know what I mean? Like, uh, um, so what, I didn't have to question, you, you know, not that there was 20,000 people there, but I didn't have to question whether my efforts were, were you know, may, my contributions were helping at all, you know, in, in the show. And, uh, and so, and there's a lot of pressure to live up to, you know, to, to, to go out there then. Uh, but I loved it, you know, I loved the challenge of it. You know, calling myself the whole left and show already is a lot to live up to, but it really meant to me a lot to me. It meant everything. When I would go home, everybody would go home. I wanted them to all be happy they bought a ticket. I wanted, and, and I had my match only to guarantee that. I had no control over the rest of the show, but through my match and through connecting with the crowd and, ha and having that 30 minute fight slash party with them. Uh, knowing that they all went home happy and knowing, you know, that uh, uh, hopefully the rest of the show was great too, regardless of that, I can feel, you know, like, like I know they're going home happy. And, and, and because of that, the TV title is now, you know, means as much as the heavyweight title, which means that only because of its, its history, you know, and its tradition. Uh, comparing that to having a WWE title where, WWE and that position mean way more than I do, way more than I ever would. Um, you know, the, I, I'm a I'm a blip in the radar of history um, on the WWE World Championship list. That's that's how it felt uh, at the time. As far I didn't, I never knew how long I would have the belt, but it, I never it never went to my head where I felt like I was irreplaceable or uh, even in a safe place the the fact that i felt like i was bringing ecw back though and the fact that i did it my way i felt incredibly good about that because i i never would have been the world champion if i hadn't changed the entire playing field around by suggesting to vince that we bring in ecw back and then all of my efforts with everyone's efforts forward so for all of that to happen and my reward being that championship belt um i, I did feel like uh, really good about that and, and and like i earned it um so hopefully that answers your question no it does no, i was just interested you know it's just it's such a different dynamic you know that uh you know ecw you were there and you were the, the guy for so long and that was such a passionate crowd that followed every single move and every single person and then in wwe you're right it can kind of be a big machine sometimes and sometimes you just kind of get lost sometimes you get plugged in sometimes you are the one being used a lot it's just it's just a different dynamic and a, a different feeling the, to get from one company to another 
it felt good. Like I knew I was temporarily, you know, um, the man in the spotlight and, um, and that I had done it by sticking to my guns and by being different. So that felt good because I definitely didn't come up the traditional way. Um, but, uh, uh, and also it's cool that I was champion of both. I had the ECW belt and the WWE belt because it was written that way. Um, but that felt cool because I, it was really giving ECW a rub, you know, a chance for people to really notice it. Yeah. I guess when you go to conventions now, how, what percentage is uh, ECW people that want to talk to you about ECW? 90 something percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, which is cool because I had, you know, uh, some of my uh, most fun matches then so at least i know that they were there during during that part of me developing and stuff you know i'm pretty proud of my career you know anybody that says that they watched me uh i think they probably saw some good matches i'm not known for having too many bad matches um and so you know i've always been uh proud in that way but <clears throat> yeah um it's rare that, that the fans tell me that they didn't watch ecw and they only know me from wwe but there are those those 10 percenters too. Do you still find the ECW fans as passionate about the business today as they were back in those days? Uh, I think that a lot of them have moved on. I mean, they, a lot of them, they, they do feel that way, just like they might say the original Rolling Stones or they'll never be the same or whatever. Again, I don't even know music. I, that just popped in my head. I'm just saying, you know, if there's someone that, Someone that says uh, so and so will never be the same because it changed a long time ago. That 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 will never change. That'll always be in their head. They'll always feel like like ECW was the, was the shit, and it'll never happen again. You know. So, but most of them, you know, I think if they're wrestling fans, they they don't stay back there in in, in yesterday. You know. When you talk about yesterday, you know, certain things in wrestling changed wrestling. You know, uh, Steamboat versus Savage changed wrestling in, in that they didn't have a ton of false finishes back then. You know, you'd have one or two, that was it. And all of a sudden, Steamboat and Savage had this match where you have one after another. You know, in Japan, you could see the progression coming where people would start stomping their feet. And now the boys are wanting to get them stomping their feet. It changed the business. You changed the business uh, with Sabu. Do you look at it now and think I enjoy what the guys are doing now? Uh, and you think are you do it like some type of pride or are you kind of like the old guy like me and Jerry going, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing, which we're really not that way. But a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys are. How do you look at it now and the pride that you feel having changed the business? I, I would say uh... – I'm 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 a bit on the, on the, on the fence about it, you know. Um, I guess I'm gonna have to say I, I'm right on the fence 50-50 because every time I think of how to uh, articulate my thoughts, you know, I keep changing it back and forth. You know, I, like I said earlier, I can't watch it without criticizing it, and uh, some of the exact same stuff that I used to do and have, have fun. If it's if it, 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 for instance, you know. Um, ECW was always it was about progressing all the time like you got to keep pushing it once you push it this far you got to push it further because we've already seen this and the first ECW show I was at in Philly I, I was so impressed by the way the crowd was screaming at the end of the show 
And I thought, well, this has to be their biggest show ever. You know, I'd never seen anything like that. And I was asking Sabu, I was like, this, what this was? And he said, no, we're here every three weeks. And it's always, you know, we always, it's always bigger. I'm like, how? I'm like, there's no way. Cause I thought they just blew their nut. There's like no way. And then the next time they come by, we're back there in three weeks and I'm watching the show and it's building and it's building. And I'm like, yeah, but still, I mean, last time they had so much run-ins and everything. You know, and then this time, boom, the lights go out. I never, whoa, what a feeling. And now all of a sudden they, that, that alone brought it to the next level. And then anyway, I used to do the helo. I grabbed the top rope and can flip over. And it was a daredevil move to do that all the way to someone standing on the floor. I started running and clearing the rope and doing the helo uh, and, and, and hitting them. And everyone always complained because I'm heavy and I have a big ass. But... <laughs> some guys some guys would just sidestep it i'm not gonna name unless you want to know but um <laughs> but um in the spirit of ecw you know i put i set a chair up by the rope and then i hit the ro opposite ropes and i cleared the chair and the ropes next time i'm there i put two chairs there i cleared both chairs and the ropes you know and and for me, you know, I was like hoping somebody was following the story that I was telling, you know. Um, nowadays, if I see uh, somebody dive out uh, and do the helo and there's eight guys out there that are just standing there looking at him, waiting to catch him, I can't feel good about that, you know? Right. I mean, right. What, what are those guys doing? Why do they just stop wrestling? You know, why can't they grab each other's heads or something? Why do they got to just stand there? The guy hasn't even hit the ropes yet. You know, you got so much time. It's almost like everyone wants the other guy to know how safe it is, but they don't care if the crowd knows how safe it is. So so that's why I'm on the fence. I, and I'm, you know, uh, I'm flattered, you know, for you to say that, you know, that, that I helped uh, change uh, the business uh, by, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I get where um, these these guys did it w without having any hands-on instruction from who they're who they're imitating. Right. No, but, uh, a question I'd like I'd like to discuss with you. You guys, every match was so extreme, and uh, you 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 just said in a statement there. You're watching the show build, and you know, for us backstage. Were there any restraints like on the opening match? Because main event's going to do three chairs and, you know, jump out with a ball of flames or something like that. Was was the first match allowed to do whatever they wanted to do? And, and how could you build your show to the main event if, if there was no... Uh... So, so, that was, so that was part of the competition that I enjoyed. There was no set rule. There was just the traditional respect, you know what I mean? Um, which would be breached all the time, you know what I mean? Like, Sabu would be like, I'm making this up. But he'd be like, Axel Rotten just threw a fireball out and, you know, lit the table on fire in the fourth match, and I'm doing this, you know, with fire at the main event. And, and a lot of the guys wouldn't know better or they get mad at each other. That happened all the time. Um, I almost thought it was funny at first, but then I – learn to feel that I appreciated that it was respectful when people would come up and ask me if it was okay if they do um, a top rope frog splash you know what I mean but I never ever told anybody not to do anything um, even even if sometimes I thought it, it would not necessarily be as good for the show overall being one of the boys I was always balancing that 
a lot of times in the wrong way um, throughout my career for the boys. But but in that manner, like I never wanted to feel like I held anybody back. So if someone came up and said, "Hey, you know, are, are you? Is it cool if I do the uh, frog splash uh, um, in in my match?" And I I would always say. Are you gonna do it better than me? <laughs> you know? And I, I enjoyed that about it. Like I said earlier, I'd come out there in the main event, and, and I would want to. I would. I would have that personal pressure to try to put on the best matches people had all night, regardless of the rest of the show. And part of that was not holding the rest of the show back. So, you know, it, it, overall, if I was the show runner, some of that stuff could have been controlled more and it might've been better um, as, a, as an overall presentation, but it definitely wasn't like that there. I think recent, recently, uh, I think I was wrestling in Canada, somewhere in the last, in the last month, I was wrestling somewhere and someone asked, uh, do you mind if I do a uh, a Van Damme in my match? <laughs> that's that's named Van Damme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have to ask right. the person that the move's named after to do it, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, Rob, Rob, what do what you got coming up here and and in your future here? You got Japan or any? Do you have any books out that you, you want to talk uh, about? Not books, no. Although, although I take, uh, I have audio files that I'm saving uh, to to put the book together, but it's not at a, at a stage of development, you know, where where um, it's worth bringing up right now. But it's something I get asked a lot, am I ever gonna do a book? Always, I've planned on doing a book, but just like everything, I go with the flow. The universe will tell me uh, when it's time. That's always worked for me. I'm 51 and going with the flow as opposed to trying to make things happen and uh, and follow you know the conformity of others uh th th this works best for me so but um i would like to plug my youtube page though it's at the real rvd Wait. yeah and um like these matches that i have i i uh, i try to get those on there and i also record segments of uh of the whole trip you know i have fun doing that put them together and uh and that, that's the way to keep current with me all my social media is the real rvd but the youtube is uh, how to keep current because uh I will bring my camera to the Mall of America next week. And, I'll be, uh, and it's, it's realrvd.com for YouTube? The the real RVD. The well, YouTube. YouTube. It's youtube.com slash the real RVD or YouTube slash the real RVD. No, youtube.com slash the real RVD, I guess. Most YouTubers know. Most people are smarter than me and Jerry. They can figure oh, it out. I'm shaking Jerry my head. I'm shaking my head less than you guys. What are they called? <laughs> yes. Real RVD. Just, the, Just go to YouTube and type in RVD hey, and you're going to get, get people to watch it. I don't know how to do that yet. I'm just, hey, uh, I just Rob, Rob you and I met initially at uh, Bobby Duncombe's funeral, right? Is that where we met? I think that's where we met. Yeah, you and, you and Sabu had come down. And I remember Sabu getting a call from uh, Paul Heyman. And uh, he was trying to get you guys to go to the show, and and Sabu saying that this is important. I, I just thought it's so cool that you guys came down because Bob, Bob and I started off as, as roommates when we started off wrestling together in Texas. 
Oh, Bobby always talked about you. Yeah, in, in Japan, like he was always, uh, he always, you know, he's always talking about Texas. <laughs> That's up. right. Everything he did was Texas. <laughs> yeah, had a lot of lot of stories about you. He was always. Uh, well, I, th I think I first met you in Little Amsterdam and uh, British Columbia, BC. <laughs> oh, is that you? It, okay, at uh, at Hastings, huh? Yeah, I think I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was no Hastings Avenue. There's uh, there's the Blum Brothers and there's uh, uh Amsterdam Cafe. Blum Brother, Blum Brothers. I think that's where I was drugged into. The, yeah. Drugged it. <laughs> that was that was the first uh, place that I'd ever been where I could consume cannabis in a public outing and uh, and, and not not feel shady i remember how it felt it was it was awkward it, it was liberating you know but it was like so different than, than now where you know you can, it's legalized you can smoke on the street basically but um and it was like wow these other people here they're just hanging out and they're smoking too and nobody's judging me like i'm doing drugs like i'm shooting heroin yeah. right Right. That was the first are, are, you, are you are you considering any strange or any any growth any yeah, so, product that under the RVD? Yeah, yeah. So I got so I got my uh, my CBD company RVD CBD, which is helping a lot of people. And uh, man, the the feedback is is so heart touching. People telling me, even if they tried other CBDs that don't work, how might because there is some bogus stuff out there. Um, especially when they have it at gas stations and stuff like that. We have to pass all these quality tests, but, and I'm also instrumental in developing the product. So, so they are superior, especially our pain cream, but um, helping so many people, the CBD, we can ship anywhere uh, domestically, no problem. Um, I have THC, RBD THC, uh, but that has to be uh, grown and licensed locally in each state. So I have that in Oklahoma uh, I have it in California. I'm getting it here in Nevada right now. And um, in uh, New Jersey, in a couple of weeks, actually a week and a half, uh, we're going to have the first ever uh, 420 Expo, um, first convention of its kind. And uh, we have meetings set up with distributors and, and you know, we're, we're on the grow. So I'm looking to have products everywhere. But besides that, uh, we're also into all these other cannabinoids because in places, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Delta 8 or not. Um, that's legal in a lot of places right there at the gas station. And it basically, it's just like one, it's like one uh, ingredient off of THC. And once you, your body metabolizes it when it's inside, uh, it gives people very much the same effect of THC. In certain places, they're outlawing D8. So now we have Delta 10, Delta 11, HHC, uh, THC zero. There's all these different uh, products coming out. I'm, I'm getting involved in, in all of them. Right. They're all, um, uh, you know, collaborations with people uh, that have different specialties. And, um, and like I said, we're, we're on the grow. So that's something uh, that, that I've been doing for, mm, I guess is going on three years. Uh, I think at least two years, kind of like, kind of opened up kind of like right before the pandemic, you know, um, so we've been pushing through that. But that's something uh, uh, that, yeah, good to good to bring up, because uh, obviously uh, the world is starting to catch up with what I know uh, about cannabis and how how it can help people and how it's not heroin. And <laughs> people, people are at the point now where most people actually know that cigarettes, 
Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I think most people know that cigarettes are more poisonous than marijuana, but they still look at cigarettes as a, is okay because it's legal and marijuana is doing drugs. You know, so they still someday they're going to learn and, and understand that it's even safer than alcohol. But, um, you know, that's uh, that's everyone else catching up. Do you have your CDB for canines? Because my, my dog has, has cancer, uh, lymphoma cancer, and he did, I, I give him that CDB oil and he, he's very happy dog after so, I give it to him. Yeah, I get so many stories like that. Um, I do, but it's not out yet um they're working on the packaging and um and and now that you mentioned it i'm gonna check into that and then uh put some fire under them because uh uh that's something that i'm passionate about i, I love animals and uh I have a couple dogs myself and i'm giving them someone else's pet cbd and i need to give them some rvd pet cbd yeah, there you go <laughs> So yeah. in the states that you have it, you you can't distribute across state lines. So you have to have a, a distribution place in each state that grows it in that state. CBD can go across state lines, but THC cannot. Gotcha. It has to be like yeah. In the certain states, THC is illegal, but it's legal in like thirty four states. I might be off by like one state, maybe, but um, recreationally and uh, and then medicinally and what do we have like. 15 or something uh so i forget there's still places you know where, where where it's completely outlawed but the federal guideline still has it outlawed people don't realize yeah, it's that a, it's stupid it's legal in these states and it's illegal federally so there's this gray area it, it's 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 a it's dumb to have two yeah well, right there in dc it's legal and <laughs> and, and uh, there are my people right. that Make it illegal yeah. right down the street from where you can buy it. Yeah, and, they, and, they, and the feds are making the laws right there in D.C. where it's yeah. legal, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Crazy. Yeah, we well, it's only... the fed, feds on it. <laughs> or off of it. We're not sure which. <laughs> but it's only been, uh, you know, Schedule 1 uh, controlled substance since 1970. Maybe give it a couple, couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, well, Rob, I, look, I remember so vividly seeing the first time I saw, uh, like I said, the first match I saw like with Scorpio and Benoit, but the first time I saw you and Sabu, I just remember looking at that thinking, oh my God, I can't do any of that. <laughs> that's, just <laughs> awesome. that's just awesome. And then to see your whole career, it's just been so fun to watch. And uh, now that you're doing so well in your business, you're obviously a very smart guy. That's great for the business for us. You know, when guys end up becoming successful in business, it, it makes our business Looks so very good. So thank you so much for joining us on, on our show. Absolutely. Hey, you got to be somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Thank you, sir. I just, to say, I just wanted to say that instead of the uh, uh, thanks for having me. Too, 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 <laughs> over, too overdone, you know. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me.